Good morning. My name is Adam Morrill. I'm an intern here at Bridgewater. And if you remember, I was actually here just a couple of months ago in our breakthrough series. And now I'm super stoked to be here again with you this morning, jumping into the last message in our series, Rules of Engagement. And in this series, we've been saying that relationships are the context for some of the best and most joyful moments in our lives. But relationships are also the context for some of the hardest and most difficult moments. I've heard it said that there are two guarantees in life, death and taxes. And if I could add one more thing to that list, I think it would be conflict. Conflict in our relationships. But the good news is that God does not leave us helpless to deal with this on our own. And he gives us his word as a roadmap to be able to navigate our relationships, as a battle plan to be able to deal with the conflict. And when we live this, with this stuff out, we not only bring honor to God and obey him, but we also set ourselves up for success in our relationships. And so we walked through a few rules up to this point. The first rule is that it's not all about winning. It's not about coming out on top in an argument, and it's not about running away from the conflict. It's about honoring God and even doing good to the people who hurt us. And the second rule was own our part. We read from James that the source of conflict is within each of us. It is our selfish desires. And that even though somebody else could be responsible for 70% of the conflict, we need to own our part and look within ourselves. And then in week three, we talked about confession, that we need to confess our sin both to God and to the people that we have wronged. And there's a big difference between just a shallow apology and a sincere uh, asking of forgiveness. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the rule of gently confronting and navigating the difference between when it's most appropriate to overlook a fault and when we need to confront somebody who has wronged us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Over the last 10 months that I've been an intern at Bridgewater, I've only preached a handful of sermons. But one of the last sermons that I preached was actually on forgiveness in our Mark series. And when I'm working on preaching a sermon, I spend a week just reflecting in my own life and praying through it because I don't want to show up on a Sunday morning and talk a big talk and not have this stuff together in my life. And so my confession to you is even though I've already even preached a sermon on forgiveness, I'm still working through this stuff too, and forgiveness is tough for me. When I feel like I'm wronged by somebody else and I just want to see justice, like I can't even remember what I had for dinner like two nights ago, but I can remember ways that people have wronged me up to three years ago. And it's so hard for me sometimes just to let go of that kind of stuff. And so just to give you a little picture of what goes on in my mind, I brought an illustration with me this morning. It's not a suit of hockey gear, but this time I have a scoreboard. And some of you guys, you probably remember Tim Morris. And when he was cleaning out his office just a few months ago, he gave this scoreboard to the other interns. 
And these other interns not only share a house with me, but we also share an office space. And they thought that it would be funny to put this scoreboard up in the office space and to keep track of every time I asked a silly question or said something ridiculous. So it did not take very long to start racking up a lot of points on the scoreboard. One of the things I said that earned me a lot of points was telling them about the worst fruit smoothie that I ever made. Like, I heard one time that avocados taste pretty good in fruit smoothies. Well, I didn't have any avocados, but I had some guacamole in the fridge, and I figured that's pretty much the same thing. So I tossed it in there with my fruit and my chocolate and whipped up probably the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. Disgusting. So point after point, I kept racking up these points until one day I came into the office and I don't know why, but the score was at 9,999. Some of you guys might read it as like 99 for the blue team, 99 for the red team, but the way we were keeping score, this was 9,999. And once we reached the max, we couldn't go up anymore. The scorekeeping finally stopped, even if the teasing didn't stop, but at least I got a sermon illustration out of this. But I think that for all of us, even if we don't have a physical scoreboard, we keep track of all the times that we are wronged by people in our lives. We think about the times when we have an appointment with somebody and they show up late again or they cancel on us and you, you keep track in your mind, that was the fifth time they let you down. Or you think about hurtful words that somebody said to you and you keep replaying those words through your mind so that you don't forget the pain that they caused you. And I don't think that we just keep track of the frequency of the times that we are wrong. I think we also keep track of the severity. You see, we're the managers of the scoreboards in our minds, and we weight different offenses against us with different points. There might not be as many points for somebody stealing the TV remote and controlling what you watch, but maybe somebody racks up a lot of points by lying to you or maybe yelling at you in an argument and there are some people in your life who have hurt you so deeply. And when you think about their offense against you, it's like 9,999 on the scoreboard. You, maybe they betrayed your trust. Maybe they abandoned you or lied to you. Maybe somebody has mistreated one of your kids. And when we're confronted with this, I think that we have two responses, two choices to choose from. We can either settle the score by making them pay for their offense or holding the score over their head, or we can choose forgiveness and erase the score. But I will be the first to admit, it's so much easier to forgive somebody maybe once, maybe twice, or maybe just forgive them for the little things. But when it comes to somebody mistreating me time after time after time again, I, I wonder if I can really forgive them. I struggle to forgive somebody for deeply hurting me, and I would much rather hold on to the score or settle the score than erase it. And so the question that I have for us this morning is that when somebody continually sins against us or the hurt is just too deep, do we ever get a free pass on forgiveness? 
How many times do you have to forgive your neighbor for them taking their dog to poop in your yard before Jesus steps in? It's like, hold it, all right. You don't have to forgive them anymore. They've done it too many times. Or what sins are just so bad? Like, are there any unforgivable sins? How about some of the things that Hitler has done? Can those things be forgiven? Or murderers or child abusers, do we have to forgive those people? And Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, and he tagged along with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and he had some of those questions for Jesus too. So if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 18, and we're going to start in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Notice here that that Peter seems to think that seven times is more than enough for forgiving somebody. And in fact, during that day, the religious teachers taught that you only had to forgive somebody up to three times. So Peter is taking that number, doubling it, and then adding one more time to it to make it the perfect number seven. And I bet you he thought Jesus would give him a gold star for his extra spiritual answer. He thought, man, pass seven times, then I'll get a free pass on forgiveness. But actually pay attention to Jesus' answer It's quite shocking. Jesus says in the next verse, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations even say uh, 70 times, seven times. But either way, Jesus might as well be saying to infinity and beyond, there is no maximum number of times that we are called to forgive And so Jesus goes on to tell a parable in order to explain the spiritual lesson. And so we'll continue reading. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Bible scholars believe that the servant's debt of 10,000 bags of gold is equivalent to 200,000 years of labor, and to put that, day, that debt in modern-day currency, it'd be about $7.2 billion. There was no Dave Ramsey plan to get this guy out of debt. The servant was going to lose everything that he owned. He was going to lose his wife, his children, all of his possessions in order to just put a small dent in this debt. And so he, he fell to his knees before the master, and he says, be patient with me. Give me some time. I'll pay off this debt. But the sad reality is he's only fooling himself if he thinks that he can do anything to pay off this debt. The debt is just too big. And the master's decision to cancel the debt, to erase the score, 
is an amazing picture of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus. We've all been in the same boat as this unforgiving servant. We've had such an incredible debt that we could never afford to pay off. And from the day that we are born, we sin because we are sinners. And every sin that we commit is a crime against God. And our punishment is, and the consequence of our sin is separation from God and eternal punishment. And so often, like this unforgiving servant, we think that, oh, but we'll just pay it off. Like, if we can just go to church enough times, if we can say enough prayers, if we can read the Bible enough times, we'll pay off this debt. But the reality is, we're not fooling anyone if we believe that we can put a dent in that kind of debt through our own means. We can't do it because the debt is so great. But there is good news, and that is that God paid the price that we could never pay. And as New Testament believers, we know that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and died to take upon himself the punishment of our sin, to pay our debt. And if you are a believer in Jesus, then you are forgiven by God. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see the score of your sin. He sees that it has been erased by the blood of Jesus who died in your place. But maybe you're thinking, oh, that's all well and good that God can forgive us like that. But he's God. Like, we've been hurt so many times. Or maybe the, the offenses against us are so bad. And so we're still wondering, do we ever get a free pass on forgiveness? And I think that the parable goes on to answer that. So let's continue in verse 28. And it says, But when this servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In comparison to the $7.2 billion that the, unfor the, the unforgiving servant racked up, uh, the other servant owed about $18,600. But the, f the first guy went to him. He's like, pay me back the money. And the other guy couldn't do it. So he fell to his knees and begged, just give me time and I'll pay it back. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's almost word for word what the first guy pleaded before the master. But instead of erasing the score, the first guy decided he was going to settle the score. He was going to make this other guy who owed him $18,000 pay him back. And so he had him thrown into jail. And this is the part of the parable where I kind of get upset at this unforgiving servant. He was forgiven of $7.2 billion, and yet he's willing to throw somebody in jail for just little over $18,000. And from our perspective in reading this parable, it's clear to us that his desire for payback was just so unjust after having such an incredible debt forgiven. So often, 
we are like that unforgiving servant. And instead of focusing on how much we have been forgiven by God, we just focus on how much somebody else owes us. And we think that we are being just when we demand that they pay us back. And we think that they don't deserve forgiveness. And the truth is, the people in your life who have hurt you, they probably don't deserve forgiveness. But we did not deserve forgiveness from God either. And I am so glad for the forgiveness that we have through Jesus. We have been forgiven of such an incredible debt. And sometimes we feel that the cost of forgiving is too great. Like, ah, I don't know if I can really forgive that person. What they've done to me is so awful. But in reality, the cost of not forgiving is too great. So let's go on and read in verse 32 the consequence for this unforgiving servant. It says, In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless, your brother, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is one of those scary verses in the Bible. It's one of those those verses that really gives me a gut check to see that unforgiveness is no light matter to God. He takes forgiveness very seriously, and there are consequences for us if we do not forgive others from our heart. And so this morning, we want to look at what does it look like to forgive others from our heart. And to this point, I've been comparing forgiveness to erasing a score. Forgiveness is the continual choice not to hold somebody's faults against them. And so we're going to walk through three principles for what it looks like to forgive others. And the first principle is that forgiveness is the continual choice not to bring the matter up to them. It's not using their fault and bringing it up time after time again in arguments uh, just as ammunition or using it as leverage to make them feel guilty and then get what you want. That would be like annually reminding somebody how they forgot your birthday three years ago, just to make them feel bad. And then to be like, and I kind of expect an extra nice birthday present this year since you forgot. And after all, I've never forgot your birthday. That's what it looks like to continually bring the matter up to them. And the second principle is that forgiveness is the continual choice not to bring the matter up to others. And so often we try to settle the score when we just talk bad about that person. We find satisfaction in talking about them to other people so that we can just soak up the pity and put that other person in a negative light. And that is what it looks like to be settling the score and trying to take things into your own hands instead of erasing the score. And forgiveness is the continual choice not to bring the matter up to yourself. It's choosing not to just dwell on how you've been wronged. There's a, a pastor named Paul Tripp, and he says that the most influential person in your life is actually you, because nobody talks to you more than you do. And I'm not talking about verbal conversations, but it's what you replay through your mind, the kind of narrative that goes on. And if you have this narrative of you're the victim and you just replay it through your mind like a broken record, 
and you think, yeah, I'm in control of this situation because I'm not letting go of it, but in reality, it's probably just bitterness that has taken control of you and robbing you of joy, the joy of not racing the score. And now that we've, we've built a foundation for what forgiveness is, I think it would be helpful to just level some misconceptions about forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is not a one-time choice. Forgiveness is not just saying the words, I forgive you. And maybe that doesn't sound very profound, but I remember growing up and it seemed like that's kind of how things operated, where two people were in a fight and somebody steps in, it's like, all right, guys, break it up. All right, now what do you say? Say you're sorry, say you forgive them. And it's like, all right, will you forgive me? Yep, and then we call that forgiveness. But forgiveness is really played out over a long period of time. It takes that initial choice and then that continual choice not to hold somebody's faults against them. And maybe you're wondering, well, it's going to be so hard for me to feel like forgiving somebody. Like, what if I just feel that I can't forgive someone? Well, forgiveness is not conditional. It's not conditional on your feelings or even in the other person giving you an apology and asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a step of obedience to God, and it's okay for us to be obedient to God even when we don't feel like it. I think of the example of Jesus as he hung on the cross, surrounded by people who were mocking him, spitting in his face and beating him, and he said, praying to God, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. In his last moments, Jesus had forgiveness on his mind, and he forgave the people who were beating him and spitting in his face, people who would probably go to their graves without ever feeling remorse for what they did to Jesus. And so forgiveness is not conditional on our feelings or even in somebody asking for an apology. And forgiveness is not selective. It's not... uh, it doesn't mean forgiving. Forgiveness is the way that ooh, forgiving the way that God forgives means forgiving others for any and every offense against us. And I know that it can feel like some sins are just too bad that we can't offer forgiveness. And this is how we feel when we don't want to erase the score. When we make ourselves the judge, jury, and executioner deciding who to forgive and who not to forgive what sins are forgivable, and what sins are unforgivable. And we think, this is justice, because they don't deserve forgiveness. But, but we don't deserve forgiveness either, and God gave it to us anyways. And I think that the, the key to forgiveness is to remember the forgiveness that we have through God. And I think the beauty of God's forgiveness is really well captured in this song, His Mercy is More. And so I'll read some of these lyrics to you, and let's just focus on the forgiveness that God has shown us. It says, What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. 
his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. I think that this is a beautiful picture of of the, the forgiveness that we have from God and Him erasing the score. And actually, when I copied this into my manuscript, I couldn't help noticing that His mercy is more rhymes with erasing the score. So I almost wrote some new lines to this song, but I figured it'd be super cheesy, so I'm going to stay in my lane and let the songwriters do their stuff. But as believers, we are never given a free pass on forgiveness. And in this parable, the rhetorical question that the master asked the servant is really a question for all of us. He said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Think of Jesus saying, shouldn't you have mercy on your coworker just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your spouse just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have mercy on your family member just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have mercy on your neighbor just as I had on you? Who is God bringing to your mind that you know that you need to show forgiveness to? And my challenge for you this morning is to just pray that God would give you a heart of forgiveness for that person and to take the next step in that forgiveness. Forgiveness is not holding their faults against them. And we can do that when we choose not to bring the matter up to them, and when we choose not to bring the matter up to others, and when we choose not to bring the matter up to ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the forgiveness that we have in you. I thank you that even though we didn't deserve that forgiveness, uh, that you gave it to us anyways. And I thank you for, um, for everybody here in this room who's going through this, um, knowing that we're not going through it alone. And as a church, I ask that we can just uh, be an encouragement to each other and forgive others from our heart. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.